Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome back to another edition of Locked On Seminoles. What's up, everybody? It's your boy Drake here. In just a few short moments, I'm going to send you all off to myself from Saturday and the director of football over at SI All-American, Mr. John Garcia Jr. John is somewhat of a OG, a vet in the recruiting game. He's been doing this for about, I think, 20-plus years now. He was over at CBS Sports, 247 Sports, and now he's over at SI All-American. And we had a really good time actually sitting down with him. We uh, discussed uh, the Demetri Emanuel commitment watch where, as y'all are listening to this now, he's officially the FSU commit. Thank Lord we need more linemen. We'll we also talk about the Diamante Tucker Dorsey kid, the linebacker from JMU. We discussed Chris Parson, his recruitment, his stats, and also whether or not FSU will be exploring backup options. And we end off on a little bit of a uh, what is the state of FSU recruiting right now as a whole when it comes to wide receivers, where are the commitments, and also where is McNerville standing when it comes to the arrival of Mario Cristobal over at University of Coral Gables and also Billy Napier down over at Gainesville. But folks, as always, thank you so much for making Locked On Seminoles your first listen each and every single day. But with that being said, let's go on with the show. Our Locked On Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, Max or Drake or Dave, we finally gave you a chance to do an intro. Welcome, everybody, to the sit down with Mr. John Garcia, the director of sports insiding over at SI All American. John, how's it going? It's going good. Happy to to join you guys finally on the weekend. And uh, yeah, a lot going on, right? Spring football winding down uh, here in the state of Florida. So there's there's plenty to talk about. I mean, there is a lot. Before we, you know, dive into that, I kind of want to get a little more to know about you and basically how you got into the field of recruiting, you know, where you're from, your background, and basically where you got to where we're at today. Well, yeah, I grew up in the Miami area, always around football. Uh, Obviously fell in love with the game really early. Uh, played it as long as I could. And, and about that time, late in high school, when you realize probably not going to be a professional uh, on the field, decided, hey, let, let me cover the guys who, who are good enough uh, to be professionals or at least play college football. Uh, so I, I continued studying journalism uh, thereafter in college, got a grad degree from Syracuse out of it as well. And basically from that moment, I've been covering football, uh, which has been a huge blessing uh, for the last 12 years. And uh, the first year I covered fantasy football for CBS down at Fort Lauderdale. And then uh, one of my former Syracuse classmates was like, hey, there's this recruiting website called scout.com. They have a Syracuse site and they, they want someone to run it. Would you do it? And I was like, yeah. So I went back up there and uh, I've been covering recruiting uh, every, every day, really, ever since that point. Uh, and I've, I've gotten to do it in really great places up in upstate New York. Then I went down to Alabama for several years covering Crimson Tide football recruiting, which obviously is, you know, basically covering the best of the best every year. Uh, and then I was able to carve that into a national role at 24-7 before SI gave me the call. So incredibly blessed to be here. And, uh, yeah, we get to watch football every day. So can't complain. So basically we have a dedicated OG in the game on the show right now. And also I think my, when I found out I wasn't going to play professional baseball, I think it was a slider up and away. And I'm just like, yep, this is just – it's passing me by. But – Let's talk about some high school recruits starting off with the offensive line, which has been a much maligned position for Florida State. And I do know that we have four official visitors coming in in June, and one of them is a Lucas Simmons. I think he's 
a four-star by 247 zone composite rating, a top 175 prospect. Could you just tell folks a little bit more about Lucas Simmons? What an intriguing offensive tackle. This, this kid's originally from Sweden, uh, but you can't miss him if you go watch him perform uh, out in Clearwater Academy. Six seven, six eight, uh, right under 300 pounds. Just looks and is built how you would draw it up. If you're playing Madden and you're creating that, that team, your offensive tackle is going to look exactly how Lucas Simmons looks uh, as a junior in high school. It's kind of amazing to see him in person. But from when he first got to America last year to now, such big progress in terms of his actual game. You know, his, his dad played college football in the Power Five, so he's had that background. But obviously it's different when you get over, you know, to this country and you're playing ball in the state of Florida uh, against great players every single day. And he's really come a long way and become, for me, one of the top four or five offensive tackles in the entire country, uh, which is saying a lot because he was really raw when he first got here. Uh, but in the last year, in that same time, a lot of schools have jumped all over this kid, uh, including Florida State, uh, of course, USC, Oklahoma, um, yeah, Oklahoma State already got an official visit out of him. He's going to take, like you said, the rest in the month of June. And really, I, I think FSU's in the thick of this thing. USC certainly has his attention. His dad played at Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley and that coaching staff offered him back when they were at Oklahoma. So now that's carried over to USC. I think that's a primary threat uh, for everybody in this recruitment. But in terms of where he's taken visits and where he spent time, I think he's been in Tallahassee more than any other college town to date. And he really loves that energy. He loves Mike Norvell, the energy of the program. I think he went for multiple spring practices and he just came away kind of blown away by, by the energy and the atmosphere up in Tallahassee to the point where he's going to take another, another trip, another visit, and they're going to stay in the thick of it until he, he looks to make a decision. Uh, again, I think USC is probably the top threat. Florida is trying to make a move, as is Tennessee. Um, but this is a true, true national, really international battle that FSU is in the thick of. And I think if they're going to land an elite blindside protector, I, I think Simmons gives them that best, the best chance to actually do it uh, in this 2023 cycle. That's actually really good to hear. And also it's kind of leading to a pattern that I, I'm of the belief that Alex Atkins has probably been the best recruiter on staff under Mike Norvell as well. He's been with Quayshawn Sapp last year, Julian Armello landing him last year as well, like the end of the bell after a very rough early signing day period. It's really good to know that basically Atkins is continuing that effort. And then with Atkins, you know, with the high school recruits, I'm also hearing a little bit about Dimitri Emmanuel, the former Charlotte offensive tackle. Now we do know that he's playing on trying to roll as soon as possible. So I kind of wanted to ask you, what do you think was the holdup? Because right now I'm going to believe that he does not actually have an offer from Florida State as of this time. Well, he hasn't tweeted it. That much we know, right? I mean, he's he's been pretty active on social, announcing his portal intentions a couple of weeks back. And then since then, Miami and Boston College have come in with scholarship offers that he's announced. But we're also aware that he's handling this thing kind of internally. You know, he's not doing interviews. He doesn't really want to go on the record until he's ready to make a decision. Uh, so it makes you wonder uh, just who the contenders could be for him. We've heard a lot of schools associated with him that he hasn't tweeted about. Like you mentioned, Florida State, Auburn is another one. Teams that are in, in true need of help uh, along the offensive line. And, and you could see why these teams might be associated with, with Emmanuel. I mean, versatile guy. He's played uh, both tackle spots. He's played inside as well. Uh, was basically the leader of that entire roster. Uh, and that's something that one of his coaches actually tweeted about him. Uh, before he hit the transfer portal. He was congratulating uh, their fearless leader 
on an accomplishment. And that was Dimitri Emanuel, an offensive lineman. So a kid who gets it on and off the field from everything we can gather, he's already got a degree in his hand uh, and he's got that experience and versatility that everybody needs along the offensive line, but he's handling it a little bit Arch Manning like where everything's internal, everything is slow paced, at least in terms of what becomes public information. Uh, So curious to know, yeah, FSU, are they truly involved? Could they get a visit? Has he made any visits to date? I mean, these are all questions that really only he can answer. But but again, he's, he's taking things uh, pretty close to the vest. So I think we'll just have to wait and see. And, and some think that the next time he makes a post, it'll just be a commitment. So in theory, it's a pretty busy time for Emmanuel. We're just not up to date or up to the minute, I should say, on just who those contenders are. Um, and then I guess one last offensive line related question then like do you think because like we we've seen that a lot you mentioned in, actually in your response that a lot of teams right now have needs along the offensive line Florida State being one of them University of Florida the same thing Miami losing some players like do you like why are we seeing I guess more kids actually enter the portal or are they in the portal we just are not hearing much about them because just everyone seems so needy but I think the top offensive line commit that we saw go to a big team was Tyler Steen from Vanderbilt over going over Alabama you know I, I think you know there was a, that May 1st deadline if you want to play um, this fall for schools, so I think that was a big, you know, kind of tipping point for a lot of linemen. Uh, but I do think while, you know, we don't want to say desperate, while there is a huge need for some of these schools, you, you also have a standard that you're trying to uphold in between, right? You need to bring in someone who's going to play because right? any coach will tell you if we're bringing in a transfer portal guy, it's not for him to sit. So you want someone who is good enough uh, and available but you want someone who could really legitimately contend to start at your program. And there's just not a whole lot of those guys left in the transfer portal, which is why some of these later additions have become, you know, so highly talked about. Uh, and, and you can understand where the kids can almost be overwhelmed by it because so many schools are hitting them up all at one time. So I do think that there's still plenty of offensive linemen by position and by height and weight in the portal, but you also have a standard to uphold playing ACC ball, power five football, where you're not just going to bring in a body to bring in a body as well. What's up, guys? Drake here. Sorry to pull you guys away from the great sit down we got going on right now with Mr. John Garcia Jr., but we would be remiss here at Locked On Seminoles if we talk about friends over at betonline.net. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. And folks, the odds finally dropped. The NCAA football win totals finally dropped. And as always, we the first to tell you here, FSU win total at 6.5. University of Florida win total 6.5. And, and the University of Coral Gables win total is an 8.5. As always, folks, take the over on FSU. Take the under UF and slam, slam, slam the hell out of UM being under eight and a half wins with Mario Cristobal at the helm. Nine wins, that's not happening. But folks, if you use promo code locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, you'll get a 100% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Once again, folks, locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N is the promo code. As always, betonline.net is where the game starts. I mean, that's fair. Now, we've also seen with the roster owner at Florida State, I think since Norvell's been there, we've had around 30 kids transfer out, and I think only about four, maybe five kids that transferred actually went to Power 5 programs with Chubb Purdy going over to Nebraska. And at the top of my head, honestly, I think that's about it. Maybe our punter, I think, went to Arizona State, Logan Tyler. But uh, let's shift over to the defensive side of the ball. And a big name on our minds right now is, uh, hopefully I can pronounce it correctly, Diamante Tucker Dorsey, the linebacker from JMU. Now, we acquired Tatum Bethune from the portal about a few months ago from UCF, and he already – 
I think is going to be penciled as, as a starter along Kalen Deloach. Uh, what would Yamanda yeah, Tucker Dor- Dorsey actually bring to this actually this defense? And also, what uh, what are you hearing about his recruitment? Because I think that one's actually going to be picking up really quick, especially as a, a top tier FCS player. Yeah, FCS All American at JMU kind of did everything he could at the FCS level, and he just kind of wants to level up. He wants to play at the highest level possible. So just like we talked about with Emmanuel, a lot of schools jumping in uh, on Tucker Dorsey. Uh, We know Texas is one of them. He's at UCF as we speak right now. UCF came in uh, as early as anybody, Ole Miss, Florida State. Uh, Many schools have inquired uh, about potentially adding this kid to their roster for 2022, originally from Virginia. So he's not one that was heavily recruited by any of these schools for the most part before he went to JMU. So this is all kind of hitting him right now. And I actually connected with him a little bit on Friday night. And and he said, yeah, I'm I'm looking to move this thing pretty quickly. So what you're hearing is exactly what I'm hearing. Um, This decision could come in a week. It could be that quick. He's going to visit UCF, as I said, the rest of this weekend. It looks like Texas probably is in the best shape to get the second visit. And he told me that he's not sure if he's going to take more than one or two visits before this process is all said and done. So for the FSUs, for the Auburns, for the old misses of the world that are still trying to get in on this kid, one, you're hoping he slows down and, and takes his time a little bit before making a decision. And two, obviously, you're hoping to get him on campus uh, for a quick visit, whether it's official or unofficial, just to get in front of him in person and, and provide a little bit more intimate presentation uh, to a player of his caliber. But look, he wants to go power five. He wants to go to the highest level possible. So, you know, SEC, ACC, Big 12, they're all right in the thick of that. Uh, so you just wonder how quickly something like this could go down. But again, what we know at UCF right now, Texas probably the next visit after that, totally up in the air. Uh, so, you, you you know, if you're an FSU fan, you're kind of rooting for a, a bad visit in Orlando and, and Austin, respectively. I about to say, like, this is, it sounds like it might come down to basically who's at the table last with him. Because typically I'm of the camp where you want the kid as early as possible, basically convince them, you don't need to take the extra visit. You don't need to go to Austin. You need to go to Tallahassee. We got Orlando right here. We can go to Disney World for the weekend, or we can go out to Knight's Pub, you know, down at the local library. Like, like it sounds like to me, like it's going to come down to basically whoever has him last. I could see it. You know, uh, right now, you, that's UCF. Uh, Texas is creeping in right there. Uh, you could even fly from Orlando straight to Texas uh, on Sunday or Monday before this thing is all said and done. So he's, you know, understandably a little overwhelmed. A lot of schools are hitting him up in a very short amount of time. So he's just not sure how many trips he could take. Uh, but naturally, yeah, when, when you're at the FCS level, you weren't super highly recruited out of high school. Yeah, these official visits are all going to feel amazing because it's, it's just a higher, bigger level than you're used to. Um, so you wonder if after the first visit, he might be done with the process. I mean, stranger things have happened in the transfer portal. And obviously that UCF staff has, you know, good coaching staff uh, under Gus Malzahn ahead of it. Um, So it's going to be interesting. Obviously uh, there's not a lot of linebackers that are available at his caliber. So I do think that factors into why programs are pressing so hard for him uh, in addition to his timeline being one of the shorter ones. So that one, that one's way up in the air. I don't even think he knows as, as we record this. I about to say, because I think a lot of people are a little more, I guess, leery because he was the FCS All-American, because I know that Florida State acquired Marcus Cushing, the defensive end, last year, and he just didn't pan out. And I think he transferred out, actually, he's in the portal as we speak. And then we saw the Isaiah Land kid, who basically was the Heisman Defensive Player of the Year, at actually at FAMU. But this is a kid that, I mean, you're saying he has the stats to back it up, the resume to back it up, but just now it's just he's, he's a hot commodity because he's basically the highest quality at a position where 
it lacks dearth. And then also FSU's linebacking board is honestly a little bit small. I was trying to look it through to see, like, who are we targeting? And do you think that's more because of how Randy Shannon being the linebacking coach that he was, now the co-defense quarter, are they being a little bit too picky with that spot? Or basically that's their, their old relationships aren't coming to fruition? It could be a combination of both. I mean, nobody wants to have a smallish linebacker core, but, you know, you know, the game has changed too, right? I mean, you're not utilizing as many linebackers or different linebacker body types when you're playing against a, a primary pass first, you know, offense, like we see in just about every conference, certainly in the ACC with some of the schools FSU has to play week in, week out. So I think it's part coincidental, but it's also part of a reflection of where the game has gone. You just you just don't need as many linebackers as you used to. You know, you need more DBs. You need more pass rushers, uh, all things even. So if the linebacker's small and or one-dimensional, you know, he's really keeping himself off the field as, as you look for third down and, and passing situation style players. Uh, so that's certainly an interesting point and something to keep an eye on at FSU because it's something that's not going away, obviously, with the trend of, of what we see on offense uh, basically everywhere in the country. I mean, that's very fair. And I think that's why you kind of see right now FSU is targeting, I guess, various, various defensive backs right now in the portal. Then the Newton kid, I think, is one from ULM that's being discussed a lot. But I'm going to move over back to the offense, and then we'll do more of a macro look at FSU's current status and recruiting. Because I know we have uh, Shelton Sampson Jr. coming into uh, town, I want to say June 10th on Friday for a official visit. And if we're being honest here, between you and I and also everyone listening to this, I don't think FSU has basically a high <laughs> shot with them as a five-star receiver basically seeing – so I kind of want to ask you, which wide receiver should FSU be looking forward to? But also, like, what is the reason for this lack of wide receiver recruiting? Because we have a Peter Warwick, a Kelvin Benjamin, a Travis Rowe. We have a list of top-tier quality wide receivers. What's actually going on with that specifically? Well, first of all, when you throw out that list of players, you know, me and you know those guys for sure. We yeah. watch them. We remember. These kids don't, you know. So I do think there's a bit of a recency bias against Florida State with certain positions. And I think wide receiver – just happens to be one of them where it hasn't been incredibly prolific uh, relative to other teams in the ACC or even in the same state. Although I don't think any of the teams in the state have been churning out great receivers on a consistent basis, uh, but you got to start somewhere. You know, you got to truly show that you're, you know, in a modern offense that wants to utilize a receiver both behind the line of scrimmage and certainly down the field. And, and it's a great year to need receiver. Let me, let me say that because the state of Florida, is loaded. You know, my buddy Brian Smith wrote an article where like 40 guys could end up in the power five from the state of Florida. Ooh, so you don't really, I mean, Samson's a great player. I, I don't want to take anything away from him, but you really don't have to go outside of state lines to pick up premier wide receiver talent in this class. You know, I know they've hosted some of the biggest names on campus over the last few years, Brandon Ennis, Jalen Brown. I keep an eye on another South Floridian, William Foles from Dade Christian. He's a big physical wide receiver. Him. Yeah, big physical wide receiver. He's starting to look at visits. And, and he told me in person recently, he's like, look, I want to get away from home. You know, so I, I don't think Miami, FIU, FAU, I don't think those schools are going to be factors in his recruitment at the end of the day. I think he wants to get out of the South Florida footprint. Uh, he actually mentioned getting out of state, um, but, you know, Tallahassee is pretty close to getting out of state. But we know FSU is going to be you know, highly involved in this recruitment. He will take an official to FSU. I think uh, Ole Miss is one of the top threats in that recruitment, uh, and as well as some other schools. I think Alabama might get involved down the line. But right now, uh, they're not involved. And, and it looks like he wants to do something different for college. So if I'm keeping an eye on in-state wide receivers beyond the Tallahassee crew, 
I'd look to South Florida and William Foles, you know, more locally, a Keon Brown is a mm-hmm. big time wide receiver prospect, similar build uh, to William Foles, probably a little bit more constructive as a route runner. That's where Foles is a little bit more raw in his development, but both bigger guys, physical wide receivers who could really stretch a defense. So I think it's going to be just fine for FSU eventually at the receiver position because there's just too many great prospects within state lines to miss on that many. So it'll get better uh, here relatively soon. I mean, that's good to hear because one of the things that we've been like seeing, and I'm not as plugged into recruiting, that's why we have you on, so I speak to over friends over at 247 too. It's where it's like, I, I know that the wide receiver group actually in, in the state of Florida right now is top-notch elite. I mean, Brandon, this is right down the road. I mean, you were just talking about William Foles, Day Christian, folks, if you don't know, that's in Hialeah, which is basically the back Miami's backyard. But we do have a yep. Darren Gold Lawrence coming in. Vendravius Jacob is another offer, too. But we're still waiting on, I guess, I think Hakeem Williams was a player that we were high on. We didn't make this top five. And I'm pretty sure that the kid actually is related to Carlos Williams and Vince Williams. They're his cousin. So it's like, basically, we're worried a little bit more, basically, where FSU standing is right now when it comes to Florida recruiting amongst the big three. And I did want to ask you that with, now with Billy Napier coming in, uh, coming in the UF and Cristobal coming in also to Miami, where does FSU stand right now when it comes to recruiting? Because it seems like it's just the entire program is just running out of gas. And right now we can't even be able to keep even our own kids, not only in state, but also away from our rivals right now. So it's like something's got to give at this point. That's what you just said right there. Something's got to give because you can't deny the buzz that is coming out of Coral Gables and Gainesville right now with those first-year coaching stats, similar to what we saw in Mike Norvell's first year, where everything felt different and looked different with the program, and kids were able to resonate with that. Uh, I it's do, a new car I smell. Do, right. New car smell still resonates with 16-, 17-year-olds. Again, it's like when we talk about recruiting, we, especially as I get older, I'm always having to remind myself, hey, these are 17-year-old kids, yeah. right? You know, they don't. They don't, they don't even remember Kelvin Benjamin catching the touchdown to win the natty, you know, from, from 2013. They don't remember those things. So it is a totally different era. But look, right now, those year one staffs uh, up in Gainesville and, and at Miami are crushing it in terms of getting elite kids on campus. Now, they're not closing the deal quite yet. So there is still room for FSU to counter in, in the general buzz department. And look, June will be a big official visit month. Uh, you, you've talked about some of the big names that are coming to campus. And you've got the camps that are going to go down in Tallahassee uh, that I think will attract a lot of big time talent. Uh, So I think the onus is on, you know, Mike Norvell's staff to do something right now. You need momentum. You need something tangible on the recruiting trail to push you forward. Uh, It could be grad transfers. It could be portal guys, Juco guys, wherever it is, you need to start lining up some verbal commitments, uh, maybe outside of, of the Northern part of the state to, I guess, almost serve as a reminder that Florida state is still here. Uh, But I do think, for FSU, Texas, Nebraska, Auburn, some of these schools nationally that have always recruited well, they got to do it on the field. They got to prove it on the field. I think it's it's a critical year uh, for Mike Norvell on the field, just in terms of winning football games. It sometimes is that simple. I think a lot of prospects who are high on FSU are maybe like being a little bit cautious, like, hey, let's see what happens this year when these guys take the field. Because if it's a great year, well, okay, cool. Everything's stable. Well, we'll see what happens. But if it's not, then all of a sudden, you know, some might be calling for a coaching change. So I do think with him being on that theoretical bubble, it does filter down into recruiting because if we're talking about it, high school coaches are talking about it, mentors, seven on seven coaches, other assistant coaches around the country. It it is something that is being talked about. And unfortunately, perception 
affects recruiting pretty much directly. So it's something to absolutely worry about. But the good news for FSU, everything's in front of you, right? You're in the ACC. It's not the, the conference isn't crazy right now with, with top talent uh, at the top. So if you make a move, you might be able to reverse some of that. Uh, everything is still in front of this program and this coaching staff, but there's no doubt that they should feel a lot of pressure because it does feel like the clock is ticking relative to the buzz that's coming from those, those other two in-state programs. I was actually going to ask about that. I'm really glad you brought that the winning is the important thing because it's something that we talk about on our show all the time when it comes to recruits when we talk about recruiting. Because one of the things that we like to point out to is like, hey, we may not be successful on the field, but maybe just maybe Mike Norvell is able to point out to the to a Brandon Ennis, for example, not saying we're going to, but like a Brandon, hey, Brandon, you can run that route better. You're faster than that guy. You'll be able to catch that ball. And so I point to certain, you know, aspects of the game or the position players where like, if you're here, you will make that. And you will actually have the first, you know, t- first opportunity to supplant that guy and start there. So I kind of want to ask, like, how heavy is development weighing on recruits where they go to? And how much is the winning aspect go to it? Like, because to me, it's like 75 winning and 25 development, just somewhere, somewhere in between. It probably depends on the recruit, you know, um, you know, 10 years ago, kids, all they talked to me about was winning. All they talked to me about was, hey, I want to go to this school because they win and I can, you know, play for a conference championship or maybe a national championship. And that was really kind of the core of wanting to be a part of something like that, that was tangible and on the field. Honestly, though, the last five years, it's shifted. It's more about development. It's more about the potential to play in the NFL. It's about chasing the bag and securing the bag, as, as those prospects often say. Uh, so I think it's a bit 50-50, uh, but we hear more about development, playing time, the NFL draft, uh, putting stuff on tape. So, you know, it gives you a sell either way, right? If you're Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, you're like, okay, yeah, look, look at all this winning. Uh, but if you're on the flip side, you're like, hey, come play early turn it around for us and be, be, be one of those legends that's known for that. So I do think every program still has a sell, even as the shift, the, the perception shifts from what recruits really want um, from, from winning to development and everything in between. You throw NIL in there and it's just, it's kind of a mess. I was right? just about every, to ask, how's NIL change and, all that? Cause that's gotta be a big thing kid, too. Every kid is different. Uh, and I think that's what, what makes it crazy to cover recruiting at times because every single kid is different. Uh, the, the connections they have, the memories they have with certain programs, that first impression with the coaching staff, right? Did, did he prioritize me? Did he ignore me? And, and you can move on from a school altogether. I mean, there's so many factors that, that we hear about, and which means there's so many that we don't hear about, right? Mm-hmm. Kids not going to say, hey, well, this NIL you know, program here is really crushing it. And I heard if I do this, I can get that. That's not going to come out when we speak to these recruits, but it is something that is starting to factor in to the process. And as it becomes more public, like it has over the last six months and this past week with, you know, Nick Saban, Jimbo going back and forth. That was awesome. I didn't go like (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, once it becomes so, you know, illuminated in the spotlight, it it really does begin to change that conversation because now if you you see Saban complaining about it, Jimbo countering and doubling down on what they've been able to do, recruits definitely see that. And you saw commits to each school, like, talking about playing right now so it's something that has captivated college football it's already created change from the ncaa it will it will continue to captivate and and honestly create more change because of of all the parameters that have been pushed and uh, according to some broken early uh, in this first year of nil so uh, that has flipped everything on its head in between all the other shifts that we talk about 
So I'm, I'm, I guess you're in the camp that basically a, if a school wants to, I guess, you know, attain, attain that blue blood status or go back to where they want to be, they need to have sort of a strong NIL commitment to their entire program where we see, I mean, John Ruiz, whatever would you say about him, but he's basically showing that UM is committed on the NIL front. University of Florida with the Gary Collective, you see over with Texas A&M, whatever, with whatever they're doing, I'm pretty sure they're paying, I don't know, it's Texas that's paying their lineman, I guess 50K, you know, I guess we're actually being actually at the school and starting for the team. So it seems to me that NIL is going to be such a larger part actually with recruiting, probably just, you know, I guess moving forward until I guess we go to a, a sort of different sort of competition for these athletes. Right, you're right. And that's, that's kind of the ongoing conversation and where that is shifting going forward. But look, it's no surprise that a lot of the programs that are recruiting well have NIL tied into some of that success recently. Texas A&M, as you mentioned, number one class last year. Uh, you look at this year, Oregon's killing it. They've got huge NIL possibilities with Phil Knight, uh, Sabrina Ionescu and, and company. Tennessee is another one that's really crushing it. Um, they've got Nico Iamaliava committed. A lot of buzz around his potential NIL compensation. Other kids hear about it. So now Tennessee's in the game for other recruits that we weren't talking about them associated with six months ago. So NIL does create as much buzz as, as verbal commitments uh, and, and big official visits can do, uh, or even more at certain times. So there's no doubt that that is factoring in. Um, it would be ignorant or naive to, to expect uh, anything less in college football. It's always been a part of it. Now it's just a little bit more in the spotlight because those gray areas and boundaries are being pushed basically every single day. I mean, I always say that college football is probably the greatest reality TV that you don't have to pay for. And it's also, to me, it's also the same same way as soccer when it comes to basically transfer fees and the insane wages that actually you see some of these players. I mean, you saw Kylian Mbappe got his new three-year, 300-euro contract today where I'm just like, ah, must be nice to be 23 and have that much bank money in the bank. So, John, yeah. thanks so much for your time. But before I let you go, I am the QB guy on this podcast. I've been one, I guess, pushing for QB commitments and basically that we need a transfer back of quarterback. So it's going to be more of a two-part question. One, I want to give your thoughts, or basically, did you hear of anything when it came to FSU pursuing a transfer back of quarterback? And then two, do you see FSU taking a second QB behind Chris Parson? Chris Parson is the currently the QB commit that we have right now. I think he's number 300 and 247 composite. Do you think we're going after someone to back him up? Because I remember we had Deontay Green actually show up on campus, and then there was a little FSU tour was like in a little bit of a panic mode when it came to him potentially decommitting. So I kind of want to get your thoughts on whether we are actually pursuing a second option. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many great quarterbacks are in the portal right now. Obviously, depth is needed uh, there at Florida State. There's just not a whole lot of stability beyond QB one or two uh, going into 2022. So that's something that I think every coaching staff is aware of and pushing for basically at all times. Uh, but Chris Parson is committed in the class of 2023, as you mentioned. I actually was able to see him up in Nashville for the Elite 11 Regional uh, last Sunday, and he looked great. I mean, he looked like a balanced quarterback, a really good uh, build here, compact, 200 pounds, uh, good footwork as well. Uh, and I thought he got better as the day wore on, which is really important because it was a freaking hot day in Tennessee. People were throwing was, up. I heard, I heard it was horrible. People, <laughs> it, it was, I was, I was like, man, I need to steal some of these kids Gatorade. It was a rough, you know, hot day with Lipsicum Academy. The turf, was the heat was bouncing back up. It was a long four hours out there, and, and some QBs were falling out, yet Parson was one that got better as, as it got hotter. Uh, so, so that was impressive in and of itself, uh, and he wrapped up the day with one of the top accuracy scores among seniors, hitting a 20 on that scale, which anything 20 above, it's like, it's like running 4-4. It's like once you hit Ooh, that threshold, okay. 
you're you're good once you hit that threshold. So he hit a 20 on the accuracy scale among the best in the country, not only that regional, but all the way through the other regionals as well. So very much higher on Chris Parson than I was going into the event. Uh, loved his demeanor. Uh, I do think that his arm has some some progress to make just in terms of the mechanics. I think he uses his body a little bit too much, but he can push the ball to the third level, had some of the better deep throws uh, that we saw as well. And, and we know he's a good athlete on top of that, uh, which is something we don't really get to see in that kind of setting. So I say all that to say that FSU's, you know, had a sharp evaluation with Chris Parson early in the game. Other schools were certainly trying to get in with him, but he knocked them for getting in later uh, than schools like FSU did. And that's part of the reason why he is verbally committed. Look, he's saying all the right things, even though other quarterbacks have visited Tallahassee. So I really wouldn't worry about a decommitment at, at this point. Um, you know, he's blogging with RRSI site, you know, no game day. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's really all in seemingly uh, with FSU as far as I can tell. But again, it goes back to the on the field, right? How, how does it look in October and November versus in mid-May? You know, if, if things aren't going so well on the field, could something happen there? Yeah, of course, of course it could. But it, it would be a lot to, I guess, work preemptively to wonder, hey, is he going to decommit or should another quarterback be brought in? I will say that it is a deep quarterback year too. You know, wide receiver in Florida is what we talk about down here, but nationally it's the year of the quarterback right arch manning dante moore we talked about nico Jaden rashad i mean it is a great year for quarterbacks uh, and there's a lot of depth um that is emerging and, and look one of the hottest quarterbacks in the south right now is a panhandle kid right emory mm -hmm. williams from milton high school you know maybe that's somebody fsu keeps tabs on going forward i know miami just offered him a scholarship so it, it is a good year to have a need at that, that position, just like we talked about at wide receiver. But I do like where FSU sits right now with Chris Parson. I think he's a top 10, top 15 type of quarterback in this class, which is saying a lot given the talent at the top of it. Well, I'm glad you said those two things because one, I think now we can put to bed the uh, the back of quarterback, you know, debate, basically speaking. We should have got something for death. However, like you said, there's not that many options like it left moving forward. And also, if you look back in the kids that did enter the portal, like a Jackson Dart, a JT Daniels, or even Casey Thompson they might not have basically been interested in going over Tallahassee to basically compete with Jordan Travis and also also being relegated to Georgia Ben spot. And then two, I like how you said that basically the staff was able to hone in and I guess evaluate and be sharp about it with Chris Parson. One thing we call Mike Norvell prospector, Mike, he's able to find, I guess the hidden diamonds in the rough when it comes to like little vision players, like with him, I think Azaria Thomas from the class before Omar Graham jr. Too, we're just like, okay, these are actually some really solid evals. And like, that could probably could be a testament to his time at Memphis, also Arizona State, where you're not able to get those four-star and five-stars. You have to be a little better and be more, I guess, better at your evaluations moving forward. But, John, thank you so much for coming on today. Please let the folks know where to follow you, plug in your work, and basically where to know where to see you at. Yeah, real simple, just si.com slash college. All our football and basketball and recruiting coverage is there in one spot. And then, yeah, we're on social media as well. Just my name, John Garcia underscore JR. All right, perfect. And, you know, ending the uh, Locked On Seminoles with a little more South Florida flavor. This was Drake. That was John. And we'll see you all next time on Locked On Seminoles. Take care, everybody.